<laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 11, Episode 23. I'm your host, Otis Cherry, and in this episode, I'll be performing three tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Corpse Child. Tonight, we'll hear stories of ritualistic murders, unstoppable evils, Legends Best Left Undisturbed. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first spine-tingling story. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the tear, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Willow Lane seems like a nice place, quiet, unassuming, a place you can live without fear or troubles. Or so it seems, until bodies start piling up, and a worried father becomes concerned when his own son might be the next at risk. Of course, that would mean he'd have to understand what's really happening out there. Without further ado, I present to you the Blacktop Kids. She was a young girl, about 16 or 17, give or take, Teresa Kaufman. I knew her because she was the one most parents in the neighborhood went to if they needed a babysitter for the night. 
girl even set up her own small-scale business with flyers and an online ad. I guess she seemed to scrounge up decent profits from it, too, considering, as far as I knew, she didn't work any other kind of day job or anything. I wouldn't know. I never used it. I stayed at home whenever I wasn't at work, and my son always rode the daycare van from school, something I told her repeatedly when she either or one of her little minions would come by my door trying to offer the service to me. I guess to her credit, like I said, clearly her business was doing well enough without me as a client if she was able to keep paying her friends to come pestering me at my door. Well, until that night a couple of weeks ago. I caught it on the 8 o'clock news. Teenage girl found dead in dumpster outside of home. Above the headline was a picture of Teresa. Just half an hour ago, police were alerted by Willow Lane residents, Travis and Lorraine Kaufman, that their daughter, 16-year-old Teresa Kaufman, was missing. After only a brief area search, police uncovered the dismembered body of young Miss Kaufman piled into the dumpster. A blurred image was displayed in the screen of the side of the Kaufman's house, where the dumpster bins were. They cut to the Kaufmans themselves. Travis was holding an inconsolable Lorraine close to him in his arms while he spoke. I don't know who, how, or why anyone would do this. He said, I mean, she was a beautiful girl, my little angel. Lorraine loudly moaned in grief when he said this. She was nice to everyone, cried Lorraine. She was the neighborhood babysitter. People always wanted her over at their houses. Kids even wanted her around. She devolved again into a bawling mess after that. The camera cut back to the reporter, who went on to basically say that at this time, no known suspects had been identified, but that police investigation would be ongoing. I cut the TV off after that. Admittedly, I was a bit sickened. I wasn't overly fond of the girl, sure. Like I said, I wasn't one of her clients. But I wouldn't have wanted her dead. Especially not like that, cut up and stuffed into a dumpster, like she was expired meat. Obviously, though, I was more concerned because of my son's safety. Like all boys his age, my boy, Kai, loved going outside to throw his football around or try to have a nerf war with any of the other kids in the neighborhood, provided, of course, he was lucky enough to catch them when they were outside. We lived here in Willow Lane for at least four years by that point. Kai was just shy of turning three at the time. In other words, he was basically raised here. In that time, me and him both came to know Willow Lane as a calm, quiet, peaceful, if maybe not a little boring, neighborhood in Weeping Willow, North Carolina. I liked it because of that, even if it meant it was hard for Kai sometimes. Where we'd moved from following the death of his mother, my wife Pamela, the month before, the neighborhood was a lot more lively with kids and adults alike always out and about. It was fine enough, sure. Not a bad neighborhood or anything. Just one that I didn't feel comfortable staying in after Pam died, having lost a brutal three-year fight with stomach cancer. So now, imagine that. The neighborhood you'd known for so long to be quiet and perfectly safe 
to a point where I wouldn't lock my doors or windows without so much as a single visit from the police or crazy neighbors or suspicious activity or anything like that. Now has this happened, what would you be thinking? What would you do? Well, I'll tell you, the first thing I did was immediately start locking both the front and back doors, as well as lock down the windows, drawing the curtains and blinds as I went. I was in a craze. Every instinct, both parental and non, was firing off. I wondered if I'd feel safe leaving my house. Was it safe to go to work? To take Kai to school? I knew one thing. I wasn't about to be letting him go outside to play anytime soon without me being there beside him. That night got even weirder, though, when, in my frenzy to shut us in tight, I stumbled across Kai standing at the opening of the hallway, clutching his stuffed teddy bear. It was one of those moments where I'd actually had to do a double take because I was so out of it. He stood in the hallway looking at me with puppy eyes. I stopped. What are you doing out of bed? For a moment he said nothing, just standing there with the teddy bear. I could see him holding the bear close, clutching it tighter and tighter. He was scared. Oh, God. He didn't hear the TV, did he? I walked over, knelt down to him. In a calmer voice, I asked him, What's up, monkey butt? I had a bad dream, Dad. He said in a voice so timid I almost didn't hear him. A bad dream, I asked in reply. What about? I dreamt you were gone. You'd been taken away like you said how Mama was. I ruffled his hair, silently chastising myself. I needed to be more careful about what I say around him. No, buddy, I'm right here, I said tenderly, pulling him close in for a hug. I'm not going to go anywhere. I felt him nuzzle his nose into my chest. My heart melted. I miss Mama, he said, his face buried in my chest. Shh, I know, buddy. I miss Mama, too. I wanted to come back, Dad. I'd do anything to make her come back. I looked down at him, tears starting to burn into my own eyes. I said the exact same thing I'd been telling myself for the past four and a half years. God, what I wouldn't have given to just have you back, Pam. Sell my goddamn soul for that. Can I sleep with you, Dad? He looked up at me with those big puppy eyes when he said this. Normally I'd have said no. For one thing, he was seven, kind of past the age where you'd be trying to snuggle up with Mommy and Daddy because you had nightmares, right? At least that's how it was for me. Not only that, but even early on, I didn't want him trying to develop the habit then either. Fortunately enough, he'd never seemed to actually need such attention, either. I guess, though, mixed with my already present state of hysteria, I figured this would be grounds for making an exception. If anything, if he was in bed next to me, I'd at least know he was safe, that I wouldn't find him turned into choice cuts and piled into the dumpster. Sure, little buddy, I said, parting my lip into the best smile I could manage. I knew it was plastic as all hell, though. He probably knew, too. I took his hand and we went into my room. He snuggled into a ball on the pillow next to mine. 
I was getting into bed when he asked me, Daddy, why do you look so afraid? I stopped. I didn't know what to say to him. I'd forgotten kids are known to have a sense of when others around them, especially adults, are in some sort of distress. I'm okay, monkey butt. I lied. I just mom miss mama too, that's all. With that, I climbed into the bed and switched the light off. Night-night. He didn't answer, having already fallen asleep. I didn't sleep so easily, though. That morning, I woke up to Kai's little foot planted firmly in my side. I sat up, groggy, and looked at my watch. It was 9.30 already. Crap, I'm going to be late for work. I jumped up from the bed and started throwing my clothes on as hastily as possible. I shook Kai awake and quickly got him dressed, too, before heading the both of us out to the car and peeling out of the driveway. I managed to drop Kai at school and come screeching up to the office with only a half minute to spare. Once I punched the clock, I sat down and began my day, staring at codes on a dim computer screen for at least nine hours. Ten and a half if I had to pull overtime, which I was. Of course, programming codes for our latest software and making sure it worked the way it was supposed to before our new product launch was pretty low on my mental that's-got-me-stressed-to-hell-and-back list. No, I couldn't stop thinking about Teresa's murder from the previous night. I couldn't get the image, even if the broadcast news didn't even show it, of Teresa's body parts being chopped up and stuffed into the trash like that. Moreover, I couldn't imagine why. The girl was pretty, smart, and generally kind to everyone. The kind of girl you'd see graduating with honors and making some grand motivational valedictorian speech. Everyone loved her, even if she was just a bit overbearing at times. So then, who could have been so pissed off at her to want to go and do that to her? If anyone would have known the answer to that question back then, I'd have greatly appreciated the heads up before actually finding out for myself. As it happened, neither I nor anybody else I was aware of had any clue, uh, though that didn't stop the rumor mills from also pulling overtime throughout the rest of the office. Some said it was crazy psycho ex-boyfriends. Others said it was she was kidnapped, before being chopped up and stuffed in the trash can. Then there was Kenny with his theory of it being Jack the Ripper walking among us. If you couldn't already tell, all of this was nothing short of utter nonsense. I knew this, knowing the Kaufman family well enough at the time, and knowing that Teresa wasn't the type for dating. She was usually busy either keeping her babysitting business afloat burrowing her nose in her studies or involving herself in some sort of community affair. Basically, no time for dating that I or anyone else really would have known of. Plus, I didn't see Travis Kaufman being too keen on that idea anyway. And for obvious reasons, nobody, except Kenny, that is, bought a bit of the whole Jack the Ripper ghost theory he tried to sell on us. Admittedly, though, that last one about Teresa being kidnapped before being dismembered, that did sound somewhat plausible. The most educated guess, anyways. Was it a rock-solid conclusion? 
know, but it was said in the news report that Kaufman called the police on account of their daughter having gone missing, didn't he? I realized if anyone had real concrete answers, it would have had to be Travis and Lorraine Kaufman themselves. On my lunch break, I decided to call my mother to have her pick up and watch Kai for a few hours while I went to the Kaufmans after work. It was around 6.30 or so when I finally got off for the day, and I made my way down to their house, stopping along the way at the supermarket to grab the cookies as a token of sympathy. I know usually you'd go for flowers for this sort of thing, but with it running at least $25 for their smallest bouquet, I figured I'd go with the bakery goods instead. I arrived about 20 minutes later, maybe 7.05 or 7.15, and rang the doorbell. I waited a few minutes, was about to turn and leave, just setting the cookies down at the door when I heard the locks inside begin to click. The door opened and there stood Travis. Hey there, uh, what can I do for you? For a moment I clammed up. I actually forgot why I was there. Travis looked tired, worn out, obviously not having slept well and likely hadn't been out of the house at all, either since it happened, despite the fact that the car was gone. He and Lorraine share one car, a station wagon. Looking into his baggy, sunken eyes, I almost wasn't sure I felt right anymore wanting to ask him questions about his daughter's murder. Eventually, I finally managed to stammer out, Hey, um, I wanted to stop by and just see how you and Lorraine were holding up. He rubbed his eyes, somehow further pronouncing just how exhausted he looked. I, uh, I uh, began awkwardly like he either didn't know what to say or knew what to say but didn't want to say it. I really don't know what to say to that, honestly. I, I understand. I held up the cookies. You, you want to talk? A little to my surprise, he actually stepped aside and gestured for me to come in. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. He led the way into the living room and sat down in the recliner. I sat down on the couch across from him, setting the cookies down on the coffee table in the center of the room. So, he began, where do you want to start? Again, for a second, my stomach kind of flipped nervously. I sighed, wincing. Well, how about what happened at the beginning? He sighed and began. 
<sighs> so, yesterday afternoon, Teresa called from school saying that she'd gotten a text from one of the parents she liked to babysit for, the Millers, her number one client. And of course, being a Friday night, I kind of expected that she'd be going over there. She always goes over there after school to babysit their little boy, Andrew, you know. I nodded my head. When did you realize she was missing? I still felt uneasy asking this. I was no detective, and while we were longtime neighbors, it's not like we really knew each other that well. Regardless, though, he continued on. Well, like I said, she goes after school and is usually there for about four or five hours, right? I nodded. She was always home by nine, sharp, on the dot, not a half minute later. But last night, I interjected, shaking my head. He followed, shaking his own head with an even grimmer look in his face. Lorraine wanted to call the police almost immediately, he said, barking a dry, joyless chuckle. But no, I, in my infinite wisdom, told her, now let's not go jumping the gun here. Just because she's fashionably late once doesn't mean the worst happened, right? I nodded. I had no words for this. Well, 9.15 rolls around, no Teresa, no calls, texts, nothing. 9.30 rolls around, nothing. And by the time 9.45 came around, I was starting to get worried. Lorraine had been blowing up her phone for over 20 minutes by then, and I started calling Richard myself, thinking maybe he knew if Teresa had left yet. What did he say? He told me he thought Teresa was already home. He said that Teresa was already gone by the time he and Rhonda came home, almost 30 minutes before. I told him she wasn't, before asking if maybe she told him something about going anywhere, or anything like that. Again, I'm still trying to keep myself together, you know. He said she hadn't, though, nor had even spoken to her since before leaving the night uh, when she got there. Then it was getting on 10.15 or so, and we still hadn't seen hide nor hair of Teresa. So he called the cops, I added, now feeling kind of stupid, on top of already feeling anxious. Lorraine did, he replied, though it wouldn't have been too much longer before I would have. They came, and we told them what we knew. Supposedly, they sent one of the patrols to the Millers as well. Like Richard said, though, she wasn't there. They asked if she might have had any boyfriends or anything like that. My body stiffened. Did she? I asked, despite being pretty sure of the answer already. He chuckled dryly again. <laughs> Not that Lorraine and I would have known about. And I knew damn well Teresa would just as soon have died than lied to either of us. Especially wouldn't have tried running off with some punk kid, either. He paused for a moment, staring distantly at the carpet floor. God knows, though. I almost wish that could have been the case. At least then there'd be a simpler explanation for all this, right? I'd know who the animal was that... that... He choked and said, that took my baby girl away. Couldn't help but go over to him and hug him close. He tried to push me away for a second, 
before inevitably devolving into a sobering mess in my arms. My blood was frozen seeing this. For one thing, while we really didn't talk or hang out that much, I knew Travis Kaufman wasn't one to break like this, this easily. The man worked both in construction and as a bouncer at a tavern just up the road from the cemetery. In other words, he was what you'd picture when you heard the term roughneck, hardened inside and out, even if, of course, he was one of the smoothest, most relaxed men you'd ever talk to or share a beer with, and wasn't one to easily melt down like he did. The other reason is, being a father myself, I couldn't even imagine how he was holding himself together at all, especially noting the lack of alcohol from what I knew at least much less while having to talk about it. I held him like that for about another ten minutes or so, just letting him get it all out before finally getting up and taking my leave. I got back in my car and headed home, shaking pretty much entire way there. Despite Travis's breakdown, though, I still couldn't help but wonder what the hell could have happened. As far as I knew... This might as well have been some force of nature, an act of God, as you might call it, with the vagueness of it all. I mean, neither Travis nor the Millers knew anything, if what I'd heard was to be believed. Actually, another detail crossed my mind as well, sending me into yet another rabbit hole. Travis said that it wasn't until 9.30 that he tried calling the Millers, who said they'd been home for at least an hour before. Now, I wasn't a math whiz, and again, not a detective either, but it occurred to me that whoever did this would have had to have done it around 7.30 or 8 that night. But then, how did no one see anything? It would have still been light outside, wouldn't it? I decided to push that down for the time being, trying to focus on getting home. This was partially due to catching the time on the clock. It read 7.45 p.m. I couldn't help then but think about the possibility of finding Kai like that. Finding him stuffed like garbage with his little legs and arms all folded up and crammed down. Seeing his little eyes stare up at me from his severed head, frozen in perpetual fright. I made it back to the house, somehow doing so without having a panic attack of my own, to see my mother on the front porch. Well, hey there. About time you got your tail back home, she joked, grinning. That was the exact same line she used to me and my brother, Steve, when we were kids, and she'd whistle for us to come home for the night. I'd probably have enjoyed the laugh had my nerves not been shot to hell for obvious reasons. Uh, hey, Ma. Is Kai inside? I asked anxiously. Oh, no, he's run off to play with a few of his little friends. My eyes went wide. My heart started hammering. I'm about to call him. Wait, wait, I exclaimed, cutting her out. You said he was with who? She looked at me, puzzled. With a few of the boys from the neighborhood. They came over and asked him to play with them. I figured they were his friends, so... I figured I'd let him run around till it got dark, like I used to. Where? Again, she looked at me in confusion. Where'd they go? She pointed off to the other end of the neighborhood, 
Panic shot through me like a bullet, and I hopped back in my car and took off down the street. I was throwing my head left and right frantically to try and spot Kai. I rolled down my window and started calling out, Kai! Kai! No answer. Oh, God, please, no. Please, let him be all right. God, please, don't let me find him like, like... I shook my head. I couldn't allow that thought. I had to find him, and he was going to have to be okay. That's all there was to it. I drove around for another ten minutes before I finally saw something. At the end of the neighborhood, where you'd enter into Willow Lane, I saw Kai along with Andrew Miller and a group of about two or three other boys. They were holding hands and dancing in a circle like they were playing Ring Around the Posy. In the middle of the blacktop that sat deserted, with two empty poles sticking out of the ground that were once basketball goals. Admittedly, this caught me a bit off guard for a split second because of how how odd it looked. Yeah, they were little kids, but I figured all being boys and, and at least first or second grade, they'd have grown out of games like Ring Around the Posy and moved into stuff like Nerf guns or something. Then, however, I got a closer look at something that made my stomach turn. In the middle of the circle where the boys were dancing around, could see a little girl lying on her back, arms folded over her chest. I wasn't exactly sure why, but I couldn't help but find this a bit disturbing. At the time, I just attributed the feeling to my nerves being shot. In any case, disturbing game or not, I was concerned with making sure my son came home safely. Window rolled down, I shouted for Kai to get into the car, that we were going home. He looked at me. His eyes were wide, startled. I could tell I'd spooked him. I could also tell, looking at him, he didn't want to end whatever their little game was just yet. He exchanged this nervous little look between me and the other two little boys, down at the girl on the ground. I got out and started walking over to them. Guy, come on, buddy. It's time to come home. He looked at me nervous. He started trying to back away from me as I approached. I can't go yet, Dad, he said. We're not finished yet. I kept walking, making it to them, and reaching for Kai's hand when he retracted. Son, I said, not too sternly, despite not being in the mood to argue with a child, but still solid enough to make it clear I was serious. It's time to come home. The sun's going down. And play with your little friends another time. Come on, now. He wouldn't move. I can't, Dad. We have to finish or it won't work. I frowned. What won't work? The ceremony. Chimed one of the other boys. A slightly taller one than Kai. Probably being a year or two older as well. I paused. The ceremony? We're going to bring Mama back, Dad. Kai said, sounding desperate. I looked at him tell it was frightened. The way his eyes were stitched wide and his knees shook. He knew I wasn't one to argue with, but at the same time, I could tell that whatever this was, this ceremony or whatever, it was serious to him. He fully believed that he and these two other boys and the girl were going to bring Pamela back. Don't you want to see Mama again, Dad? Kai, I said, now actually getting anxious. I'm not going to tell you again. It's time to go home. Come on. 
But, Dad, I... Now! I barked. He shrank a bit. I thought I could see his eyes start glistening with tears. Instantly, I started to feel a little bad coming off so harsh like that. I closed my eyes and took a deep breath. Come on, lighten up. He's just a little boy wanting to play with the other kids. I opened my eyes and said, Look, I don't want to yell at you, little buddy, okay? I know you want to play with your friends some more, but it's getting dark. You know it's not safe to be out after dark, right? His head, he nodded sullenly. Come on, tell your friends bye and let's go home and have some dinner, huh? He looked at me for another moment in silence before turning and exchanging silent, anxious-looking glances at the other kids before then hanging his head to walk toward me. I gently took his hand and we went to the car, getting in and heading back to the house. When we got back, my mother was getting into her car about to leave. As we got out, she waved to us, calling out goodbye to Kai. He didn't acknowledge her, instead just kept walking with his head hanging down. She then left and the two of us headed inside. What would you like for supper, little buddy? I asked, hoping maybe we could try and move past this little incident from a little bit ago. He didn't say anything. Kai. He didn't say anything after that time, either. Instead, he just shambled like a zombie to his room. I stood in the living room. Just give him a little bit of time, I thought to myself. He just needs a minute after you bawled him out right in front of his friends. I winced inside. I felt like a bit of a jackass, vividly. It was around 7.30 that I began making supper. I figured I'd do hot dogs and some of the frozen curly fries that night, being, frankly, too damn tired to actually cook anything else. Plus, Kai loved hot dogs and curly fries, so I figured it was at least a, a small way to try and make things better with him. I was setting the table about to serve dinner when I realized I hadn't heard a single peep out of him. Kai, I called out. Hey, come on out, buddy. Supper's ready. No answer. Kai? Nothing. I went ahead and fixed both our plates before making my way to his bedroom. His light was off. Kai? I whispered. Nothing. He isn't asleep, is he? Hey, monkey butt. Supper's ready. I stopped when I flicked the light on. Kai wasn't in his bed or anywhere else in his room. Not only that, but his window was also wide open. My heart dropped from my chest, and I instantly ran over to the window. Kai! I screamed. I tried to look out through the window for him. It was dark outside already. I couldn't see a thing. Kai! I bolted out through the house and out the front door. I took out my phone and clicked on the flashlight. I waved it all around the yard, all around the trees in the backyard, even in the neighbor's yard. Nothing, no footprints or nothing. I went over and knocked on the neighbor's door, pounding it like a friggin' madman. The door opened. I immediately assaulted the guy at the door with my frenzied questioning. My son's missing. Have you seen him? For a moment, he just stood there, looking absolutely confused at me. I knew he thought I was a damn lunatic or something. I pulled a picture of Kai up on my phone. Look, this is my son, Kai Warren. I think he's run off. Have you seen him? He shook his head. No, afraid not, he said. 
anxious and looking over his shoulder. He obviously wanted me to go away. Damn it, I exclaimed, too out of it to realize I said it out loud. He looked at me, startled. Okay, look, I, I gotta keep looking. I took out the small pad of sticky notes and the pen I kept in my shirt pocket and scrawled out my phone number. Uh, here, this is my number. Call me if you see me. Please. He nodded, slowly, still carrying the same worried expression. I then ran from his porch and down the street, continuing to call out his name. The farther I went, the darker it seemed to get. The darker it got, the quieter it seemed to get. Quieter and quieter, until it finally got to the point where I barely even heard crickets chirping. All that went through my mind was that the thought that Kai had been kidnapped, that some deranged freak had climbed through my son's window and snatched him. Of course, there was also the thought that he'd ran away, but that wasn't any consolation. In either case, my little boy was missing in the middle of the night and had no possible clue as to what had happened or where he was or if he even was even... Oh, God! I shook my head again. Like last time, I couldn't think like that. I had to find Kai, and he would have to be okay. I made it all the way to the exit of Willow Lane again, calling out his name the whole way and receiving no answer. Finally, I realized he must have run all the way out of the neighborhood, or, with the other worst scenario, someone else ran away with him. Therefore, I needed to call the police. I arrived about two minutes later, and just like I did with my neighbor, I immediately launched into a craze of telling them what had happened. He said he was in his room? One officer asked. Yeah, I was making dinner, and, and you said that you found his window open, he said, cutting me off. Yes, he was in his room while I was making supper, and when I went to check up on him, he was gone. The window was wide open. I can't find him anywhere in the neighborhood. It was silent as I finished. As I spoke, he had a cold look in his face. A look that said something I said reminded him of something. He knew something, but wasn't going to say it. Not right then, at least. He told me to wait where I was for a moment while I went over to whisper something to his partner. About 30 seconds later, he came walking back to me. His partner got on the radio. What's your address, sir? He asked. I frowned. 1536 Willow Lane. Why? He didn't answer, instead repeating the address into his radio. Hey, wait, why do you... Okay, so here's what we're going to do, Mr. Warren. We've called for backup to cordon off the exit and entrance into the neighborhood. We'll be sending out an Amber Alert shortly. Now, I'd like to ask you to come down to the station with me just to answer a few questions. My heart started pounding, my knees shaking. The station? Why? What did that have to do with finding Kai unless... Hold on, I said anxiously. You're not seriously thinking I'm kidding about this, do you? You don't think I actually hurt my own child? I didn't say any of that, Mr. Warren. He replied in a tone that told me I needed to get my own in check. I just want you to answer a few questions could tell that while he may not have been implying that I was somehow behind Kai's disappearance, he wasn't exactly giving me a choice in the matter of coming down for questioning either. 
I closed my eyes and took a deep breath. Yes, yes, sir. Thank you. I have my partner here posted outside your house in case he comes back or somebody else comes around that shouldn't be. I nodded my head. Don't worry, Mr. Ward. We'll find him. I just kept nodding. Please, God, find him and bring him home. The ride to the station felt like a blur. Every second of the way, I was honestly expecting the officer's radio to go off. Would they find him? Would he be alive? And or even in one piece? Would he be found in a dumpster like Teresa was? That was it. The dam burst and tears started raining down my cheeks. I couldn't think straight at all. We finally stopped after what felt like an hour, even if it was really only a couple of minutes. He got out and started walking into the station. I stayed, seated, lingering, my mind stuck in a typhoon of emotions as well, as the vain hope that the radio was going to buzz and the other officer would come on saying something like, We found him. Got a little rug rat right here. Yes, sir. Turns out he was just hiding out in the woods. Or something like that. Anything. So long as it meant he was safe and at home again. It didn't. I was broken from my trance when the officer tapped on my window, signaling me to come on out and follow him into the station. I did, slumping out of the car and in the building. My head felt hollow as I Inside, he led me to one of the interrogation rooms and told me to wait for a moment while he went to get something. I walked in and sat down. Like on the road, time passed really slowly then, too. The officer returned not long after, though, again, I felt so out of it that he may as well have spent the better part of the night wherever he was. He sat down across from me with a manila folder in his hand. You okay, Mr. Warren? he asked. The tone of his voice that he used made it clear he knew damn well I wasn't already. Even, not even remotely. Uh, sorry, he said, chuckling dryly. Stupid question, I know. Just trying to ease you up a bit, you know? I didn't answer. He opened up the folder and began pulling out photos. Looking at them, were I not already caught in an emotional typhoon, I likely would have thrown up right where I was. The photos were of dismembered body parts, varying from severed arms, legs, a few fingers and toes, eyeballs, and one or two even of a severed genitalia. What the? I exclaimed. What the hell are those? Body parts, he replied. Specifically, murdered victims' body parts. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Why are you showing these to me? What does this have to do with my son? He shifted through and pulled out a photo of a young girl with a short, brunette bowl cut. Mr. Warren, meet Gertrude Walsh. She was a good girl, got good grades, had lots of friends, and was the shining angel of the school and church fundraisers. Everybody loved her, see? He laid the photo down and began picking up pictures of the body parts again. Everybody, that is, except for the sicko, that decided she would be much better off, quartered and dumped into the lake, just down the road from here for the fish to have at her. 
I looked at the photos. I could see entire chunks of desiccated flesh missing from where it had been eaten away. Already wheels were turning in my head. Something about what I was told sounded familiar. Hauntingly so. Drawn and quartered, dumped. Images of Teresa began coming back at me again. The officer pulled out another set of photos. This one was a slightly older girl. This one maybe in her early to mid-twenties. She had long, vibrant blonde hair, at least. That's what I figured it was supposed to look like originally. The photos showed off spots where it looked like it had been forcefully ripped out. Those places were patches of exposed muscle tissue. And just like Gertrude and the others I saw before, this girl's face was also mutilated beyond recognition. Not one single inch of the girl's face, or the rest of the skin on her body, was without at least five or six slash marks, many of them looking like they might have actually cut through muscle and down to the bone. I thought for sure I was going to be sick seeing that. Now I want you to meet Jessica Reese, the officer said. Like Gertie here, Jessica was also a good girl, head of the cheerleading squad here at Willowwood High, and was an avid contributor and or advocate for some of the local charities, always a giver, never asking for anything in return. Of course, I'm sure she would have given everything she owned if it would have meant she'd be able to keep from ending up like this. Why, I asked, choking back the urge to retch. He sat staring at me intently, as he was before. Why are you showing me this? What, you'd think I had something to do with this? I knew that was a bit of a stupid question. He shook his head. Then what are you saying here? What's the purpose of this? I've told you three times now, I'm not accusing you of a damn thing. I didn't bring you here under any kind of suspicion. Rather, I wanted to see if you could pick up on something by looking at these photos. I looked at him, confused. What do you mean? You know what I'm talking about here, Mr. Warren. These girls, they look familiar, don't they? All of the pictures have a few things in common, don't they? I nodded my head. Whether out of denial or sheer disgust, I didn't want to admit knowing exactly where he was going with this. But these were all pictures of young girls, pretty and kind, and basically sunshine children from the neighborhood, just like Teresa Kaufman, all who'd been viciously slaughtered and chopped to bits before being dumped somewhere. Uh-huh. I can see it all over your face, he continued, nearing his eyes at me. You've seen something like this before, haven't you? Again, I just nodded. When did these happen? I asked. He pointed to the one of Gertrude and replied, She was found September 26, 2017. Pointing to Jessica, he said, September 27, 2018. And the same person did both? Were there any suspects? He sighed. Well, that's just it. To put it bluntly, no, we've never had any actual suspects. The only one who might have fit that bill was an old curmudgeon that lived in a house at the very end of Willow Lane. Did he say anything? 
maybe confess? Nope. And he was killed just a year or so after Jessica here. Some of the folks in the neighborhood decided to play vigilante justice and ganged up to beat the poor bastard to death, holding him responsible for some other kids going missing as well. And then what about Teresa? He sighed again. Like I said, Mr. Warren, that's where this gets tricky. Thing is, outside of the M.O. of this freak apparently targeting young girls with ties to the community, we hadn't ever been able to really pin down any sort of objective or any real pattern. At least not at first. He shuffled through a few more photos. Pulling two of them out, he slid them over to me. They were both of severed arms slashed all the hell, like every other part of them. This time they appeared to be an area on both of them that was accentuated. An area that wasn't just gashed repeatedly, streaking across the flesh. Engraved deep into both of them was what looked like an albeit sloppily drawn pentagram with the words Lucifuge Rofakal. Written equally as sloppily, and dried blood underneath it. The gashes obscured the words so much that they were almost illegible entirely, as well as the actual penmanship itself, looking like that of a first grader. What is this? I asked, shocked and horrified now, beyond belief. You're saying that this was a human sacrifice? Like from a satanic cult or something? Something like that, he or at the very least, something made to look like one. What do you mean? Well, that's just it. At least from our records, we'd never had any kind of run-ins with a satanic cult or anything of the sort. But for at least the past four years or more, up to now, with the Kaufman girl, we've been finding bodies just like this, shredded to the point where the only thing telling us who they were were, were their teeth. All of them, including the Kaufman girl, by the way, were all found with that mark carved in their arms. Yeah, and... He pointed to the photos again. Well, for the longest time, the trail essentially went cold. Time passed with no leads, just an ever-climbing body count. And it stayed like that for a good while till we started noticing a few other factors. I looked up at him, confused. What other factors... I take it back. Maybe I should say other inconsistencies. I raised my eyebrows. I was completely lost. Huh? I asked. Look at the photos again, he said, holding up one of the ones of Gertrude's shredded remains, alongside a few of the others, like Jessica and even Teresa's. What about them? You don't notice the differences? I tried looking closer. Look at the words again. See how they aren't written the same. I squinted my eyes and saw it, the difference. Across the arms, smeared across the innumerable cuts and gashes, were the words, but each time written differently. Some of them were missing letters, while others were only half-formed letters. Each one looked poorly written, but they each had one or two unique things wrong with it. Yeah, yeah, I see it, I replied. But what does it mean, and what's it got to do with finding? 
So it means we'd been looking in the wrong place, he interrupted. We may not be looking for one killer, but a group. Like you said, though, there hadn't been any reported cult activity in the area. At least not any people that would mention. What do you mean? You think the neighborhood's been trying to cover up for a satanic cult? I'm saying the neighborhood might not know there is a satanic cult. How? Why wouldn't they know? I mean, surely somebody would have seen something, right? I mean, how would they be able to pull this off with multiple people without anyone ever saying something? Good question, he answered, leaning back in his chair. He stared distantly at the wall behind me and said, That's the part I'm still trying to put together here. I mean, I have a working theory at best, but trust me, it's a long shot, as well as one I hope to God isn't true. What, what is it? He broke from the wall to stare at me momentarily, examining me, before returning to the wall. Like I said, old Willow don't know about any kind of cult activity. Like you, I don't think it's part of a scandal either. No, whoever these people are, they hide extremely well, likely in plain sight. And what they do is done somewhere that's likely overlooked by most. Overlooked? Yeah, somewhere the residents are familiar with. Somewhere where, if they were seen gathering, they'd probably just look at them and say, Oh, look at that, Jimmy. A couple of dingbats hanging out, you know? I nodded, though still not having any clue as to where the hell he was going with this. Now, here's where you start to come in as far as any of this goes. I want you to think real hard. Is there any place at all that you can think of that might serve that kind of purpose here in the neighborhood? I paused for a moment. I was about to tell him that I couldn't when I stopped, thinking again of the neighborhood, a place people would likely pass right over. Maybe a spot in the woods, somebody's backyard that you might see a bunch of people gathered behind. Anything. I remained silent. Well, yesterday, I found my son playing at the end of the neighborhood, in the old blacktop with some of the other kids. I guess that'd be the best guess I've got as far as that goes. He furrowed his brows. The blacktop, huh? Yeah, they're playing around in it. His eyes narrowed at the wall. Uh Uh-huh, he said, obviously connecting dots in his head. Dots that I still couldn't see. You happen to see what they were playing? I thought back to seeing Kai and the others, all gathered in a circle around the little girl. I think they were playing Ring Around the Posy or something. I don't know, it was weird. Weird? How? He was looking at me now, eyes fixed solidly on me. I, I don't know, just weird. I replied, not sure, or at least trying not to be sure, what was going on thinking about the incident. There was this little girl just lying there on the ground. The kids were gathered around her, holding hands. A distinct chill started stabbing my back. The officer could tell I was starting to pick up on his lead as well, but the way his eyes started to widen in alarm. Lying on the ground, he repeated. 
it, yeah. I repeated, shuddering. I started thinking then of how Kai acted when I came to take him back home. I started thinking about what he was saying. The kids called it a ceremony. Was the girl alive? asked the officer. I snapped back to attention, having lost myself in thought again. Huh? The girl, was she alive? She look hurt in any way? No. No, not that I could see anyways. I started shaking in my chair. Now I was officially terrified about Kai. If this was heading where I deep down knew it was, then every second that passed without any kind of word on Kai would drive me further and further into a heart attack, worrying about where he was. You said your son was with him, he asked, sounding like he knew what my reaction to this question was going to be and was bracing himself for it. To his credit, he wasn't wrong with his assumption either. My eyes went wide and my lingering sense of dread was instantly replaced with alarm. Hold on. Is that why you brought me down here? You're trying to get me to turn my own son in? I could feel myself slipping into hysterics. You're out of your mind. My son is missing with some maniac out there, and you're here harassing me with half-baked conspiracies, thinking he's going around sacrificing people to the devil instead of actually trying to find him. He just sat there staring at me. He remained calm, despite clearly seeing that I was two seconds from jumping up and throwing my chair at him. I was sure he'd had conversations like this before, where someone started flying off the handle at him. I could tell from the way his calm yet chiseled stare bore straight in through me, reminding me again that I needed to get myself in check and quick. Another moment passed in silence before the officer spoke again. You done? he asked, sounding more annoyed than anything else. I closed my eyes, took a deep breath, and relaxed again in my chair. Good. Now, if you'll stop for a second, I'd like to tell you, for the unteenth time already, you're not here under suspicion. Your boy wasn't either. But if you said he was with them this evening before he went missing, then that could be a clue as to where he is now and what happened. Yes? I sighed. Yeah. I guess you're right. And if what you just told me is true, then it could be also a clue as to what's been happening to these girls. See, this whole time, right up until you told me what you did, I thought we were looking for adults. Maybe a couple of punk-ass teenagers who think they're tough. But now, I think it's starting to make more sense. I raised my eyebrow. How? He held up the photos of the severed arms again. See the words? He pointed to the pentagram carving. See how sloppy it's written. My eyes somehow managed to widen further than they already were. Yeah, I stammered, shaking. Like I'm sure you did when myself and a few other detectives working these cases saw this. We didn't think much of it other than, again... Either a rush job by a group of wacko Satanists or a couple of punk teenagers. Now I see that it would make sense, as much sense, 
These were done by kids. That would explain how they're so sloppily written and why the pentagrams are drawn just as crappy, wouldn't it? I sat staring back at him in shock, wide-eyed, white-faced, and slack-jawed. I couldn't believe it. These kids, kids I somewhat knew for years, had let my son play with for years, were a part of some demonic murder cult this entire time? Now my boy was out there, probably already taken by them. Uh, how? I stammered. What? He asked. How are they doing this? I held up one of the photos. I mean, these kids we're talking about here. How in the hell are they doing this? Well, that's just it. Like I said before, these kids obviously knew something about what they were doing. They obviously know how to hide, as well as how to avoid suspicion. My guess is they're using the blacktop you mentioned as a sort of meeting ground, you know? Yeah, but how are they doing the murders? They're just kids. How has no one caught them yet? Well, you said you thought they were playing Ring Around the Posy, didn't you? I nodded my head anxiously. What if others would have thought something like that as well? I raised my eyebrows. What if they were able to meet up? have their little witch's Sabbath or whatever, dump the body and be back home before the streetlights come on, with Mommy and Daddy never being the wiser. How, though? I asked, completely baffled at this point. How could no one see this? Obviously, these kids know more than we thought they would. And obviously, they're aware of the fact that the blacktop is a pretty inconspicuous location. Not to mention, as you're making pretty clear here, nobody suspects little kids for this sort of thing. Now couple this with the fact that there's already not much in the way of traffic coming in, or overall activity, with the residents in Willow Lane. And yeah, it might not be as hard to imagine as you think. I was speechless. My heart raced dangerously fast. My mind was a typhoon of anxiety and sheer horror. I couldn't believe it. Yet I couldn't refute it either. The more I thought about it, the more I started to see the dots connect. Finally, I managed to stammer out, What are you going to do? His lips stiffened. He was stumped. That's just it, he said. Right now, there's nothing we really can do. Other than what you've just told me, we still don't have any concrete proof that that really is what's going on here. Plus, even if we did, we still don't know who any of them are. I cut him off. Andrew Miller, I exclaimed. He raised his eyebrows in the confusion. At the blacktop, Andrew Miller was one of the boys with my son. You mean Rick's boy? The officer asked. He sounded truly skeptical this time for the first time. Yeah, he sometimes comes around to play with Kai in the front yard. It was him and a few other boys with my son, dancing around the girl on the blacktop. You recognize any of the others there, he asked. I shook my head. He went back to staring intently at the wall. Things were silent another minute before he finally stood up and said, All right, Mr. Warren, you're free to go. I sat still. 
Wait, what about... We're going to keep an eye out for him. I'll keep a unit outside your house, as well as keep one posted near the blacktop, to keep an eye out for anything suspicious there. In the meantime, just keep one ear to the ground and one eye to the sky for me, okay? He pushed the card into my chest and said, Anything look weird? Anybody? And I mean anybody. See looking like they're doing something they shouldn't be? You call me. Got it? I nodded, and slowly getting up from my chair. We left the interrogation room, and he led me to the front door, where he escorted me to a patrol car that was waiting to drive me home. I got in, and the officer behind the wheel began driving. Much like the drive to the station, my mind was a complete blur. Caught now between thoughts of things I'd seen and heard, as well as the lingering question of where the hell my son was. Now, though, there was an all-new question stirring around. Was Kai involved with any of this? Thinking once again back to the situation at the blacktop earlier, I couldn't fight the feeling that had I not shown up when I did, he might have taken part in something horrible. One thing was certain. Part of a cult or not, I wouldn't be able to have a second of peace until he was found. Please, God, bring me back my boy. As it happened, I was taken back to my house without any kind of word on my son or any of the other kids for that matter. And it would stay that way for the next week or two as well. I didn't get any kind of sleep either, obviously. How could I? Not only was my son now missing, but everything I'd come to know about where I was living and had been turned on its head, where before I could have felt safe leaving my door unlocked all the time, now I couldn't feel safe even trying to open my door to go outside. At all. It got to a point after about the fourth or fifth day of calling out sick that they told me I was in serious danger of losing my job if I didn't start coming back in. Even still, though, it's not like I was all that productive at work. I'm sure most of my co-workers were getting sick and tired of me, ignoring them the entire time I was there, the exception being just asking them if they'd happened to have seen Kai. I'm pretty sure my boss was getting fed up with me, spending most of my time trying to reach out through social media with it as well. But what the hell was I supposed to do, huh? What would you do in my position? If it was your son or daughter, especially if it was your daughter in this circumstance, that was out there, God only knew where, with a group of murderous little kids running around, hacking people up in deranged human sacrifice rituals, would you be calm and just go about your day as usual? like these asswipes apparently expected me to? Or would it be everything you could do to not just say, screw everything, and be on 24-7 patrol looking for them? Well, in that vein, my wish was half granted. I wouldn't need to actually look for myself at all. It was around that Friday night, 9.30 or so, that I heard screaming coming from the neighbor's house. Already alert, like I mentioned before, I instantly jumped up and bolted to the window. Outside, the officer had been posted outside my house and was approaching the neighbor's house. The same neighbor, sure enough, 
that I'd gone to the night Kai disappeared. I guess in a really, really sick sort of way, it's only fitting what happened next, then. I watched the officer draw his gun before signaling to his partner to go around to the back of the house. I saw the officer then proceed to kick the door in. My mind was an angry hornet's nest, everything happening all at once. Every anxious thought, feeling, or emotion whizzed through my head as I watched the officer enter the house. Oh, God, what is it now? Why are they screaming? What's happening in there? This then led to another horrifying thought. What if it's those kids? That little girl from the blacktop. What if it was their daughter? They were there looking to finish what I had interrupted. Then it hit me. What if Kai was with them? That was when my instincts kicked into full-on berserk mode, and I bolted out the front door of my house. I heard shouting coming from inside the house. I could hear the officers shouting, Let her go, son! Oh, God, please don't let that be him. I ran inside. Huddled in the corner of the living room, quivering in fear, was my neighbor and his wife. In front of me was the officer, standing in the threshold between the living room and the dining room areas, gun trained forward. Put it down, kid, he shouted. I scrambled forward and damn near dropped dead of a heart attack where I stood. In the middle of the dining room floor sat Kai, Andrew Miller, and one of the other boys. Kai stared at the officer, petrified. In one hand, he held the little girl from before to the ground by her throat with a kitchen knife raised high in the other hand. The other two boys were also staring at Kai, silently urging him to do it, to kill the girl, who was lying on her back unconscious, bleeding badly from multiple stab wounds that I could see on her left side. I was frozen. This was the worst possible thing I could have ever witnessed. My worst fear, and there it was, sitting right in front of me, sitting in a pool of blood with a gun aimed at him. Guy exchanged rapid looks back and forth between the officer, the other boys, and the girl. I watched his knife hand start to shake like he was hesitantly going to bring it down. Kai! I cried out. At once, Kai, the other boys, and the officer all turned to look at me. Kai, who I knew was already scared to death, somehow had even more color drained from his face when he saw me. "'Sir, I need you to back away now,' shouted the officer. I remained where I was. "'Dad?' Kai whimpered. His hand stiffened in the air. I stepped forward, outstretching my hand. "'Sir, back away!' the officer barked again. I ignored him, taking another two steps toward the dining room. "'Son,' I said calmly. "'Daddy's here.' It's time to come on home now, okay? I took another step. He flinched slightly, trying to move away from me. I heard the officer's gun click. Wait! I shouted, turning back to him. Sir, please, I don't want to say it again. Move away now! I'm not going to let them hurt you, my son. I shouted back. I turned back to face Kai. Come on, buddy. Let's go home, okay? Daddy's missed you. We can go home and everything can be okay again. We'll have hot dogs and curly fries, watch a movie together. Just like we used to, remember? Kai's body began shaking. 
His big green eyes started to glisten. I, I miss you too, Daddy, he choked out. I miss you and Mama. Despite being stuck in a state of panic, I couldn't help but feel my heart snap in half in my chest. Do it, Brother Kai! Andrew Miller snapped from behind him. Kai swung his head to look at him. You have to finish the ceremony so you can see your mother again. My eyes widened. Son, what is he talking about? He looked back at me. I, I have to do it, Dad. I have to give her as an offering so Mama can come back and be with us. I exchanged looks between him and the boys. They were serious, hell-bent on killing this little girl, just like they had the others, and sacrificing her to the devil. Kai, I could see, though, didn't want to do this. He was scared just wanting his mother back. He looked back down at the girl. I couldn't see her chest moving anymore. I was almost sure she was gone, having lost a lot of blood by that point. His arm shook again. Kai, don't do this, please. I have to, Dad. I want Mama back. His voice broke when he said this. Tears started streaming down his face. I know, buddy. I miss Mama, too. But think about it. What would she say if she saw you right now? You think she'd want you to hurt this little girl? He stopped again. I could see his grip on the knife start to loosen beginning to dangle in his hand. I knew I had him. Come on, monkey, I said calmly, taking another step towards him. He remained where he was, shaking. I reached my hand slowly toward the knife. Let's put down the knife and go home, okay? Just you and me. Sir, what are you doing? The officer asked. I quickly shot a glare behind me at him before looking back at Kai. Kai was now fully in tears. I want Mama, he cried. I know, buddy, I know. My hand was only an inch away from being able to grab the knife. Slowly, I watched his fingers uncurl from around the handle. That's right, let go of the knife. Everybody's going to be okay. Before I could finish, Andrew Miller snatched the knife out of Kai's hand. I'll finish the ceremony then, he shouted before thrusting the blade toward the girl. Kai snapped up. No, he screamed, thrusting himself in front of the knife. Quicker than I could even blink, Andrew had the blade embedded all the way to the hilt in my son's stomach. Pulling the knife back out, he and the other boy took off toward the back. The officer shouted into his radio that they were headed out back while he came up to me and Kai. Kai! I rushed over to catch him as his body fell. Blood started pouring like a waterfall from the gas just above his navel. He was gasping for air. Kai, Kai, I shouted, feebly trying to plug the wound. Come on, buddy, stay with me. His gasping got more and more frantic. Beside me, the officer took out his phone and began calling for an ambulance. I just kept holding him, shaking and praying for him to be okay. Eventually, his gasping got weaker and weaker. Kai, I called out, shaking him. Son, come on, hang on there. Daddy's here. His eyes started glazing. Kai, no, 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 come on, stay with me, Kai. He went limp in my arms. 
I shook him, my heart feeling like a battering ram, against my ribs. He didn't move. His arms and neck dangled limply as I tried shaking him. His chest wasn't moving. Guy! I screamed out before devolving into a sobbing mass, nuzzling my face into his chest. The ambulance arrived about a half minute later. It felt like half an eternity. They had to pry him out of my arms. No, you can't have it. I remember screaming at them. You can't take my boy. No. I remember actually trying to get into a wrestling match with one of the paramedics, having to be pried away by the officer. I tried struggling against him, too, before devolving again into a mess of tears. It's all right, sir. I remember him telling me as he restrained me. Calm down, let's go inside. I gave up and complied. There was nothing else I could do. It was over now. This was last weekend. The police caught Andrew Miller and the other boy that day when they tried to run from the house. That's as much as I've heard about them. I don't know if they'll be tried or not with how young they are. I hope they are. I hope they see what they've done, what they've taken. More than this, I hope they see what happens when you decide to play with fire. Not only that it destroys for them, but what it destroys for those around them. As far as the neighbor's little girl, I heard a day or two later that the paramedics managed to save her. I heard it was honestly a miracle. She even made it onto the table at all with how much blood she'd lost. I agree even if it was out of an internal sense of spite. She was alive while my boy wasn't. I know how selfish that is, but I can't lie here. Don't get me wrong. I was glad she was able to make it unhappy, even a bit relieved to a certain extent that she's alive. At least he died making things right. As far as I go, well, there's not much to say. I haven't left my house since then. Fortunately, thanks to the press and media coverage of the situation, my boss actually decided to sympathize with my situation and told me to take the rest of the week off. Unpaid leave, of course. If I'm going to be honest, though, it probably would have been just as well if he'd just gone ahead and cut me loose. The funeral is two days from now. Once that's over, I won't be living here in Willow Lane anymore. About two days ago, I started packing my stuff to move in with my folks up in Kings Mountain for a while until I can find another place of my own, assuming I can even be on my own anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do, honestly. Kai was all I had after Pamela passed. Now it was gone. Now I have nothing. I'm sorry. I'm trying to hold it together here. The house is so quiet Can't wait to get out of it for good. I'm going to end this here. I don't want to think about him anymore. I just want to move away from this godforsaken neighborhood. Away from this house. These people and these kids. And most importantly... I want to get as far away as possible from the blacktop. 
I just want to get away. I hope you enjoyed The Blacktop Kids by Corpse Child as performed by yours truly. If you've enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash corpse-child. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash C-O-R-P-S-E dash C-H-I-L-D. His Damned Whispers book is available on Amazon or travel over to his Reddit page, Corpse Child Gospels, to find more twisted tales. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave him a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that me, Otis Chiry, sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium, extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky. Get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, 
and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.